No one has ever said raising kids is easy. With an overwhelming amount of information about healthy diets, discipline strategies, and the need for more tummy time, it can be really hard to make sense of it all. Welcome to Tot Talk. I'm Mary, a pediatric occupational therapist. And I'm Allison, a pediatric physical therapist. Together, we created Tots on Target to join parents, teachers, and pediatric professionals into one community with the mission to empower each other with a greater understanding of how our children's brains and bodies develop, join us as we discuss the most relevant topics to help keep all our tots on target. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We interviewed or really had a great discussion with Kathleena from The Allergy Chef. She is a blast. We had the best time talking with her. She has so much to share on everything we put into our bodies. So her main focus as the allergy chef is around food related to allergies. She has an amazing website where she shares recipes that you can filter by um, by different allergens. So if you're allergic to wheat or you're allergic to milk, you can filter that way. So that's the premise of her beginnings and her website. But what we really got into in this conversation was how to be mindful about what we put into our bodies. And it's something that Mary and I are really passionate about ourselves and got more information and discussion on this topic with Kathleena. So get ready to have a blast with us. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and give us a rating five stars, please, and um, and share with all your friends and family so that more people can benefit from all the amazing topics we are discussing on this podcast. Kathleen, before we begin, just tell us your background a little bit. I know that I saw, I was watching some of your stories and some of your IGTVs. I know that you yourself suffer with, um, I don't want to say suffer, that's a strong word. You, it seems like you found a way to thrive. So that is definitely the wrong word. But like, how did you come to start the allergy chef, just like give us your background a little bit. Cause I knew you said you started in the tech world. So this is yeah, a big, yeah. <laughs> this is, this uh, is different. So I have always been a sick person. I've basically been chronically ill my entire life, misdiagnosed okay. my entire life. Um, finally properly diagnosed and turns out over 200 food allergies and intolerances. Can't drink most water. If you can imagine it, I used to weigh about 450 pounds and now I, I know. Right. What? <laughs> The look on everybody's face every time they hear it, they're like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. totally way. Wow. Um, I suffered from pretty much every non-traditional symptom a person could ever have. So I am the walking textbook of what it means to not be the rule. Um, wow. And so it's put me in a very unique position. My symptoms, I'm essentially a great mimicker. I mimic every rare and major illness, cancer, Job's disease, renews, pretty much all of it. Um, my symptoms mimic all of it. It doesn't, it doesn't mean I have those illnesses. Okay. It means I have all the symptoms of those illnesses. And once okay. you remove the trigger foods, I'm fine for the most part. Um, wow. It's pretty intense. But yeah. like I said, it's given us a very unique window into this whole world. Um, there's a lot that people don't understand. There's a lot that the medical community and scientific community still don't understand. It's yeah. not studied nearly as much as, say, heart disease or diabetes. Um, there's a lot of speculation on what causes the diagnosis rate to spike. Um and the bottom line is no two people are the same. Everybody gets into it a different way. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think air, water, and food is a huge thing that we're not talking enough about. Um, we've kind of lulled ourselves into this complacency really after World War II. Um, mm -hmm. if, you, if you really want to dig deep, study World War II and what happens thereafter. Like at what a do you mean? Global, like, our, like our food supply and how we, supply, um, how we our environment how we and live. All of yeah. it. When you look yeah. at World War II and just after, um, you have the introduction of a lot of pharmaceuticals, a lot of yeah. agricultural things that not necessarily our ancestors grew up with. You have a lot of medical shifts that our ancestors did not grow up with. You have just so many changes. And then, of course, you have the introduction of television and mass marketing. Mm -hmm. And so people go from, you know, one person's working and sustaining the household while the other person is sustaining um, you know, the children and bringing them up in a more traditional method versus now where everybody's working to buy the latest tech and gadgets, and whatever. And so they're taking these shortcuts because they have to or want to, um, or in some cases they don't have a choice because cost of living is insane. Um, and it really takes like two people just to scrape by in some communities. Um, and so it's, there's just this huge 
shift. Like I cannot stress enough that World War II really was the changing point um, mm-hmm. for the society that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this just explosion of everything kind of all at once. Mm-hmm. And with that, though, like we were saying earlier, there's that good side and there's that bad side. And so people like myself, some argue that we're essentially the canaries in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone will um, do as poorly as someone like myself. But the fact that people like myself do poorly, we're like the red flag. And if people don't kind of go, you know, we should pay attention to these red flags, it will only continue to get worse. And unfortunately, or even, I mean, even with our even with our own children, like even the chronic illnesses that so many of our children face right yeah. now, and it's not rocketing, it's not normal. Chronic illness in children is not normal. This idea that kids are born deficient to pharmaceuticals or born with all these things. You know, our family is living proof. Something that made me so upset once, I was reading this article from a respected doctor in the local Bay Area, and they were like, food, a change in diet can have zero effect on children with ADHD. I was so angry because we had proved with not one, but two of our children who were basically misdiagnosed with ADHD, that diet is everything. You know, when 80% of your immunity comes from your gut, you cannot deny that there is this inherent connection between what you eat and how your body functions. And we've gotten so far from that message. And now, of course, you know, like we said, the chronic illness, it's like diabetes in children. When did that become normalized? You know, kids taking pills. Why are we normalizing this behavior? You know, it's, we are so far from what's normal. And I always tell people, you know, look at kids who grow up in the jungle. Okay. Yes. They have diseases that we've gotten rid of and they are completely different from us, but their kids are generally way more healthy than ours are. Why? air, water, food, you know, and then of course you could take into account exercise and um, grounding and exposure to nature and all these types of different things. But Western kids are missing this. And the further we come from World War II, the more it's apparent. And unless a whole bunch of people all at once finally stand up and say no more, it's just going to keep happening. You know, you'll always have like this grassroots movement, you know, people like the three of us who are like, oh, I'm aware of this and I don't want this for my family. But unless... A million of us all say it at the same time. You know, companies, they listen by money. You know, you got to vote with your dollars. I tell people this all the time. Buy food from allergy-focused companies because they're the ones taking care of you. You know, the big names, those are buzzwords to them. They could care less Mm -hmm. about our community. You know, you want to support the companies that are made by our families because they know what you go through every day. And it's the same thing. If if everybody keeps buying Oreos, they'll keep making Oreos, right? Mm-hmm. If everybody keeps buying soda, they'll keep making soda. So mm-hmm. It's so hard because I do love soda and I do love Oreos, but you're absolutely right. It's I, I don't think we're educated enough in what those ingredients are that we need to be looking out for. Um, so how did you make those discoveries or what research have you done on your own to learn about what ingredients play a role in some of the things that you're talking about? What do parents need to know when they are out food shopping for their kids? All right. So fun story. We'll do story time. Um, one of our kids, we call him Mr. Low No Sugar. He's kid three. He was physically assaulting other people. He was in a lot of trouble. He was five years old and another student. The parents wanted a restraining order against our child, wanted our kid kicked out of school. It was really big deal because it was preschool, mind you. Um, And long story short, he was misdiagnosed with ADHD, put on medication that was really dangerous, wasn't working. And so in our home at that time, we were introducing all sorts of new foods and the reward. Okay. Keep in mind though, I broke all the food rules without knowing that I was breaking them because it was like, well, if you try your vegetables, you get dessert. Right. Um, And so they were getting dessert like every day. Well, one day he got in so much trouble. Their dad was like, that's it. You don't get any sugar for 30 days. And it was so funny because the other three all went, oh, like they legit gasped because they, <laughs> it was like a prison sentence in our home, right? And they Seriously. were all like, you're in so much trouble, right? It was the funniest thing looking back on it. Well, after two weeks, we had a different child. Like I'm talking really completely different child. And oh my God. two weeks later, it was like he was an angel. And we were like, huh. Well, the first night he got dessert back, he was, uh, I kid you not, he was throwing himself against the wall and landing on the couch. When we say bouncing off the wall, we mean literally. He was literally throwing himself against a wall. And I went, whoa. Because I knew a person could have problems with sugar. I have a sugar problem where um, if you give me enough sugar, I vomit. I just, I can't process cane sugar, right? And so from that day forward, so he's seven, he'll be 18 in a few months. So for 13 years now, um, 
for me, it was just, I wanted to know everything. I am very much a scientific minded person. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just my nature. And mm -hmm. so I started reading every label, looking up every single thing. What is this exactly? And why is it in food? Because, you know, this doesn't sound normal. It's not the word banana, right? Like basic words, basic things, totally fine. And so I started looking into a lot of things. Mind you, around the same time, we were starting to see that there was something really wrong with me. So it was kind of just research for everyone. Um, and I was so, going to ask you if you were making, if you had already made those changes within your own diet, or if he was sort of the, your first window into seeing the the impact of food on behavior? I would say all of our kids, it all sort of happened all around the same time. Um, so his, our second oldest, we, he was born allergic to dairy. So we already had an idea of food allergies. Um, but then I still knew there was something wrong with him because growing up a morbidly obese child who didn't eat much and he was already pretty obese. It was like, there's something wrong with him, but I can't put my finger on it. So again, you know, with my own personal nature, just knowing to dig and research, I think that's, that was really the saving grace for all of the kids and myself included. Um, and so having learned what a lot of stuff was, and just realizing like, you should not be putting this in your body. This does not sound right. This is like not okay. Um, and then I started teaching the kids how to read labels. It was really funny because um, kid three, he picked up a label one day and he gave it back to me because I would actually translate for them. I would tell them, you know, when you see these words, it really means sugar. You know, if you see these words, it means it's a chemical. It's not, you know, it's man-made added to food kind of like, and I taught them how to you know, translate. And so he started reading it back. And he's like, such and such sugar, such and such more sugar, such and such. That's a chemical. Why do we have this in our house? And I was like, you're right, throw it away. Um, and so it's, it was a very interesting journey. I would say when you are first starting out, it's incredibly overwhelming. Because once you open your eyes, like it's, oh, man, you know how like with newborns, their eyes adjust over time. So it's not like they're overwhelmed where stimulus is concerned. It's like the opposite of that. You open your eyes and all of a sudden you go, whoa, wait, but, mm, ah, mm, and there's just so much of it because we are conditioned from a very young age to inherently trust what's in a grocery store. Why would they sell it to me if it's bad for me, right? Why wouldn't someone look out for me? Well, we have in the United States something called GRAS, G-R-A-S, generally regarded as safe. Basically, chemical companies, food companies, they can make up whatever they want and say, it's a grass food. Unless you prove it's bad for you, we're going to accept that it's okay for you. And, that's right. and that could take 20 years and actual research to back that up to prove that something's wrong. These companies are very big and probably are not supporting that kind of research or helping to shut it down or something to that effect. And you've pegged it. You know, we look at European countries and they ban a lot more than we do here in the United States. Mm -hmm. That should be a wake up call. Right. When you look at certain companies who sell foods both in the United States and in Europe, and you read the labels, they sell cleaner products in Europe than they do yeah. here. Um, and it's, you know, I don't know if you guys recall, but several years ago, um, Whole Foods, before they were bought out from Amazon, and this never came to fruition once they were bought out, they were like, every label has to be fully disclosed about, um, you know, genetically modified foods, et cetera, if you're sold in Whole Foods. And they gave a deadline. They said by year XYZ. Um, and right before that, Vermont, I believe it was Vermont, they passed a law that food labels had to be more transparent. And every major food company basically teamed up and sued the state of Vermont. And what's really funny, sad, not funny is that when they passed the bill, they actually set aside money knowing they were going to be sued for legal defenses. And this still hasn't, you know, come to pass or anything of that nature. And then a couple more states jumped on board and said, we want to do this too. And then Whole Foods jumped on board and said, well, if we lead the way and make it voluntary, then a bunch more companies will do it. The concept was, you know, they say Walmart is the, one of the greatest changing factors in our society. And it's true because if Walmart demands something, everybody changes. A lot of people don't know the story about wide use of barcodes. That was all Walmart. Walmart wanted an easier way to get foods and pro products in and out of their doors. And so they came up with the barcode. And if you wanted your product in Walmart, you had to have a barcode, period. Who knew? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and again, this is the kind of stuff that I read when everybody else is asleep. And I'm like, oh, I wonder how- I need to read more of your stuff. Like, this is fascinating. Well, you're, my, you're my kind of girl, Kathleen. Allison will tell you, you are my girl. I know. I feel like, I feel like what Mary says and what you're saying are like the exact same thought process because- 
she does a lot of the similar research and it's it's really fascinating some of the stuff you're saying and i know that from walmart yes they are such a big company because i mean or a store chain store because so many of middle income families middle america they're all going to walmart for these products it's one of the most massive chain store in our country yeah. i mean think about it this way you ready here's a thought that i love to give people to really just knock them upside down on their heads imagine if walmart Target, Kroger's, and Whole Foods all said, we want full transparency on our labels, and these 100 ingredients are no longer allowed. Could you imagine the revolution that would happen in our systems? Could you imagine how much chronic illness we could knock out overnight, seemingly, Mm -hmm. if those four players all said, you know what, let's actually do right by our consumers. Mm -hmm. Forget, I mean, here's the problem. Everybody says, well, it costs too much to be healthy. That's actually the greatest myth in our current society, right? I mean, Yes, organic costs more, but does anybody actually know why? The answer is the government subsidizes non-organic foods. So look at corn, for example. I actually have a severe corn allergy, and this is one of the best examples. The government subsidizes corn so that instead of the consumer paying $3 a bushel, they're paying 50 cents a bushel. Well, in the organic farmer's world, they're not getting those subsidy dollars, and so their bushels still cost the $3. You as a consumer, without knowing the whole backstory, you would just always assume organic costs way more. The truth is, is if the subsidy disappears, the non-organic corn is $2.50 a bushel. Well, now you're like, well, for 50 more cents, I could just have the organic. You'll pay the 50 cents. But, but why you, is that? Why Why is the government subsidizing non-organic versus ah, organic? Where- so that's where the lobbying comes into play. So you've got mm-hmm. all these people who are paid to basically convince lawmakers to do what they want them to do. Government lobbying is one of the greatest legalized crimes of all time. When you look at what these people are doing and what they're fighting for, it's really about greed, greed, power, and control. And and I'm not trying to sound like a conspiracy theorist in this moment, but I'm sure I kind of sort of almost sound like one. But the reality is, if we the people kind of stop and say, okay, I know this will be a really hard year for me if I say no more processed junk, no more plastic, no more chronic illness, no more pill for every ill, no more television. If I just say no more for a year, it's going to be a really hard year. But what would happen to my family if I actually stuck with it for a year, just a year? In fact, don't even do it for a year. Do it for a hundred days, right? Give yourself a 100 day challenge. What would happen to your family, to your medical bills, to all of it. You know, a lot of people don't know this. They, they think that our food is so expensive. We were spending thousands of dollars on medical bills when the kids were little uh, every month. In fact, we actually looked at it. The first year that we took radical change in our lives, the kids all combined had over 300 doctor's appointments. The second year, they had four. Hmm. Yeah. I saw your eyes. Your eyes just told me the story. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, that's the key right there. People... When you're in the moment and you've never been told from the outside what could happen if you just take that leap of faith, no one told us going in what would happen. We did it because it hurt enough, right? It was like, something's not right. I don't like the way this is going. I don't want my kids on a bunch of pills. By my own very inherent nature, I was driven to change, but most people are not. But I think if most people could hear, listen, in a hundred days, you can bring down all these different costs. You can, you know, your kid who won't listen to you because they have all these behavior problems, you could improve that by 50%. You know, your kid who doesn't sleep well because they're dealing with chronic inflammation, but they can't communicate that to you, they could sleep better in the next 100 days. You know, all these problems you have, you could improve them in 100 days if you just do these five things. I think if people did it, imagine, could you imagine the country we could live in? Suddenly, everybody's just better. Yeah. Was that sort of like your drive to start the allergy chef? I mean, obviously you're a wealth of knowledge. You have firsthand experience of, you know, how food impacts health and behavior. Um, is that why you decided to start the allergy chef? Absolutely not. You're going to love this ladies. You ready? Get ready to laugh. I did it to prove everybody wrong. (laughs) I actually laughed. (laughs) What what do you mean? What does that mean? (laughs) Um, I, I am the kind of person don't ever tell me what I can't do. I'll do it just to prove you wrong. Um, So I finished college when I was 19 years old because I had this great Mm -hmm. plan and a friend of mine, Jimmy, he's like, you can't do that. I was like, Jimmy, watch me just to prove you wrong. And I did. Um, I am, I just, you can't tell me not to do it. Um, And and it's not to say that I do it like in a rude way, but I had to show the world, like, what are you all complaining about, right? Who cares if you're gluten-free? Who cares if you have 10 food allergies? You can still have the most amazing food ever. 
yes, you will have to put in elbow grease. And yes, you're going to have to make phone calls. You're going to have to do all these other bits and pieces, but I'll even make it easier for you. I'll do some of the groundwork, right? All you have to do is show up, put in the time and energy. And the thing is, is I've proven everybody wrong. I've proven to them. I don't care if you have a combo of 35 allergies and a special diet. You still have amazing food to eat. You just do. You know, people have to break out of this mindset. I think sometimes our mind is like the greatest prison of all time. And if we can just break free from it, everything just gets better. And I've seen some of the recipes that you cook. I mean, they're so nutrient dense and they look so flavorful and delicious. Um, I, I just saw one today I, I was looking through and you had made, I think it was a taco filling and you can fill in the gaps, but some sort of taco filling and it had like, it looked like cannellini beans and collard greens and all yes. the spices. I was like, uh, can I make that tonight? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's the thing. Like, so it was, it's funny because I was thinking about it today and, um, over the course of your average day, the kids easily eat 15 different pieces of produce combo of fruit and veg. And that's just from, Hey, let's add onion to this and mushroom to that. And, you know, I love sprouted microgreens, all things sprouted. I love it. Love it. Love it. Super nutrient dense. And you have more bioavailability. Um, and so just including just a little bit here and a little bit there on the next thing, you know, you've got nutrient dense foods and yeah, our tacos were definitely not traditional. But that's what I love about them, right? They're still delicious. And, you know, our kids, you know, we were having a problem with our youngest. And for a hot minute, we really thought she had an eating disorder. And it was very scary to go through because like we were sharing earlier with each other that, you know, those teenage years, it's really hard, you know, because here she is a young lady and, you know, she's being exposed to traditional media, you know, when she's out with her friends and whatever. And it was kind of like, is she starving herself? Because she wouldn't eat, you know, and then there were times where she'd eat a little bit and go straight into the bathroom and you're thinking, oh, jeez, what am I doing? Right. You know, and then, of course, I'm always having to be like the police on every level because her dad was like, hey, what are you doing in there? I'm like, dude, you can't do that. Like, we, we have to, like, handle this with kid gloves here. Well, it just turns out we were feeding her all wrong for her body. And once we stopped and really listened to the individual needs of her body, you know, we were looking at common denominators because this kid can't eat this and this kid can't eat that. And so if we just use these 15 foods over here instead of those 15 foods over there, everybody can eat together. Well, the 15 foods we were choosing were not working for her body. She needed the other 15, right? I'm just throwing out metaphors here, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by shifting her diet, she eats now. Nutrient wow. dense. We, you know, she was dealing with um, monthly cycle intense pains, like on the ground, screaming, crying in pain, like bloody murder pain. And we're like, this is not normal. This is, this is not the way life is supposed to be. And even within some of the diet changes that we had made by changing some things, we had caused other issues. And so then by switching again, you know, everything's free and clear. In fact, just yesterday, she walks up to me and she goes, you know, I think I got this whole thing figured out and, you know, I can eat these foods here and I can do, you know, and we've given our kids this freedom to experiment with diet and understand how food affects them. You know, going back to kid three, as an experiment one day, I got him down to four grams of added sugar in the, for the entire day. And by the end of the day, he said, it was so easy to be good today. I didn't even have to think about it. I didn't have to try. I think he was about 14 when I did that experiment. And that's the Uh. point. Most little kids can't tell you this. You're, we're seeing tantrums. We're seeing belligerence. We're seeing a lot of things, right? And we're like, go to the timeout chair, do this, do that. We're thinking we have to fix all these problems when, and I'm not saying every kid is like this, right? There are some kids who really just are being belligerent um, or are testing our patience or boundary limits and all that kind of stuff. But if you have a child who's doing this every single day and you're a good parent, because don't get me wrong, if you're a deadbeat parent who's not really there, okay, you're going to have problems, right? That that comes with the territory. But if you're a hands-on parent and you're providing support and structure and your child is still acting out, you have to start asking, what's causing this? Is their brain under constant attack? Because even low-level inflammation, you know, the best way I can explain it is there's this thing called corn rage and a small percentage of people with severe corn allergies, myself included, we have what we lovingly call corn rage. It basically means if you give us corn or corn derivatives, in almost no time, we can fly into a full 
rage. I'm talking seeing red. Let's just say I've done physical damage to our kitchen out of just sheer rage, like zero to 60, 10 seconds kind of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. If I, as an adult, can articulate this to you, what is your child going through? And the best way to explain it is when it happens, it's like your brain is on fire and there's this inflammation and you can't do anything about it. And the only thing in my, in my personal case, I can recognize it and I just go to sleep. I literally, I walk away. I say, you're all on your own. I'm going to bed. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. That's the easiest can, way to deal with it. Can we talk about the historical perspective a little bit? Like just talking about different foods. I know you had touched on that a bit, like talking about pre-World War II versus post-World War II. Something like corn. Is it really corn or is it how we've genetically modified corn in 2020 that is aversive? Are we allowed to talk about GMOs here? I know it's a controversy. Oh, we could talk about anything. Yeah, whatever. I'm just wondering if like, say, Kathleen, you lived in 1850. Do you think you would have been able to eat corn? Or is oh, it what, or what I we've think, done to corn? I think in 1850, I may have been a little bit sick, but not like today's world, right? Mm-hmm. So genetically modifying is a huge part of the problem. Pesticides, all the chemicals that we're dumping on food, all that stuff is not normal. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. Um you want to know something really interesting though? Oh, I know it's going to get you to think and watch a video and I don't know, some other stuff. Look into rat studies and tolomers. It's so fascinating. I'll give you the, the I'll, I'll spoil it for you and just tell you the ending. Ready? Okay. It turns out in a lot of medical and food safety trials, everyone was purchasing their lab rats from the same place. And this place had bred the rats to basically have high performance healing tolomers turned on and so if something didn't necessarily and i'm giving you the the cliff note version right i'm not telling you all the scientific bits of it let's say you have a pharmaceutical drug that will cause harm in humans but we have to check it out on these animals first it didn't cause harm or appear to cause harm in these animals first because their tolomers were causing such rapid repair that we couldn't see the damage so then we moved forward to human trials and we're like gee, why are all these humans getting sick when the animals didn't? And so a couple of scientists were picking up on this and they claim that they fixed it in the industry, but nobody's talking about it. But what it really means is that hundreds of years, well, not hundreds, but basically decades of years of them telling us all these foods and all these medicines are totally safe. If you start looking at where did we get the lab rats? Where did the animal studies start? What did those animals look like? If you take wild animals and put them under the same cir- set of circumstances, you get completely different results. Let wow. that sink in for a hot stick. So going back to genetically modified foods, I only gave you a sec, literally. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> genetically modified foods are totally part of the problem. And no one's actually studied the combined effect. Legally, they do not have to tell you what happens if, okay? Now, we know that some people don't do well with things like antibiotics or um, just different types of foods and chemicals, et cetera, right? Well, no one has to tell you what happens if you take this child with this ethnicity, with this background, and then feed them this food A that had these three chemicals, food B with these three chemicals, food C with these other three chemicals, plus these over-the-counter medications. They actually can't tell you. In fact, you're literally the only one who can tell them. And then because it's just you, they say, oh, that's, um, you're just a one-off. We can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. See the right. problem? It's, it's really, it's so, as you said before, it's very overwhelming as a parent thinking about, you know, there are hundreds, thousands of foods that we are walking through the aisles and picking up and our kids are also not just home all the time, right? They go and they're on school lunches or camp lunches or they go to birthday parties, friends' houses. Is this an all or nothing? Is this you no. have to, because even for me, and, and I am health conscious, um, but, you know, it's it's overwhelming to think about changing every ingredient that I use or starting, you know, from scratch, turning my own butter or making my own marinara sauce. Like, <laughs> where, like I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do that. I love um, it. <laughs> um, I could just see you set up on your right? farm like a three. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. You know, to start getting my kids up, let's go farming out in the backyard in New Jersey. Oh. Um, but, um, you know, in, in reality though, the truth is we do go to the supermarket and we do buy these ready-made foods that we think we're doing it a healthy way. But 
how, how do we start? How does somebody like me start this process? Because I, I've definitely, some of the things that you're talking about behavior wise with kids, it, Mary and I both talk about this stuff all the time mm-hmm. when there's too much screen time or they eat too much of something. It definitely changes behavior. And so hearing you, I am so motivated and inspired to really kind of start from scratch, but at the same time, it's overwhelming. So like, what's your right. tip? Let's, yes. let's break it down. Let's yes. serious plan here. Okay. Yes. Okay. So we're looking at two different things. First off, you have lifestyle and then you mm-hmm. have food. So we're going to separate the two. First, let's tackle lifestyle. Number one, if you're not an organized parent, figure out what organizes you best, like how your brain and how your workflow works. I'm hyper-organized. So for me, it's pretty easy you know, write things down, pop out a calendar, make a chart, whatever. It works for me. It doesn't work for everyone else necessarily. Um, Start shifting your lifestyle. I would always recommend go to like those teacher supply stores and buy sticker charts. This especially works if you have kids 12 and under and purchase puzzles from the dollar store, get some art supplies, get some low cost items in your home. That way you're not entertaining your kids all the time, but you're saying, Hey, when you've read this book, you get a sticker. When you've done this puzzle, you get a sticker. When you've done this, you get a sticker. Um, You know, and then of course, I'm such a weird, strange parent. I make my kids start learning SAT vocabulary around age eight. Um, It's like, I'm, I'm so, I'm so different though. But you know, they get, they were getting stickers for all sorts of things, right? Just play on the fact that kids love stickers. It doesn't even have to be a food reward. Um, and figure out how to start shifting your lifestyle. That doesn't mean you can't have tablets and screens. It means severely limit them. Do we have to have it on right now? Do we really need this on right now? Or can they make a sock puppet? Can they go build this? You know, we've spent way too much money on Lego sets, which I have no problem saying out loud. And then I give my kid a Lego challenge, right? I say, go build me um, a sword, but it needs to be a sword big enough that I can actually hold it. Nothing rinky dink. Like I want to be able to hold it and swing it. And so now they have to start thinking about physics and just how everything's going to work. You know, invest in KiwiCo, like those crate boxes. Start looking at all the different ways you can shift your lifestyle away from screens and start building up children's natural curiosity, their fine motor, gross motor control, exercise, all sorts of little things. And it it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg, and it doesn't have to exhaust you either. Um, obviously, if you have a toddler, it's going to be a lot harder. But Allison, like you said, your youngest is four. So you're kind of starting to enter the golden days, actually, um, where you can sit them down and say, okay, here's your three books. When they're done, you get your sticker. And you know, make sure this is totally random, but make sure your kids can picture things. A lot of people don't realize this, but television, one of the ways it damages children's brains is the constant cut actions. So if you ever watch something like on Nick Jr., you'll notice it's a constant slow pan and there's no fast action and there's no quick cuts. Whereas if you watch something on like Disney, like Disney cartoons, there's lots of quick scenes and cuts. And it's because research had shown that if you do quick cuts, you hold a child's attention longer but it turns out you're actually engaging their fight fight or flight response. And so you're actually jacking them up on the inside. People don't realize this. And sometimes people wonder why their kids get really anxious and antsy even while watching TV. It's because they're amped up, literally, because the screen is moving too fast. And so like boom, boom, boom on their brain. Um, and so by reducing all of that, right, we're going to help those brains. We're going to calm them down. We're going to change how things go. We're just going to make it a little bit different and easy. So that's the lifestyle element of everything, right? But now we have to look at diet element as well. So it's number one, if you're not dealing with a food allergy or food intolerance, let's assume you have a perfectly healthy child, well, sort of healthy child or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, Number one, you're switching ingredients one at a time. When you run out of your non-organic butter, switch it for the organic butter at the store. Grass-fed is always going to be better, um, but it will cost a little bit more. So you're going to be swapping your fats one at a time. When you run out of cereal, swap for the organic cereal, get the low sugar option, get the grain free option. You know, there's lots of different things available nowadays. Um, Two brands that are really great, Forager and Three Wishes. They make really cool cereals that are pretty kid friendly. You know, one thing you should always do, I always go straight to the sugar. How much sugar is in this food? how much of it is added sugars, because there's a key difference there. If you put dates in the cereal, it will have a naturally higher amount of sugar because dates are basically fruit sugar. Whereas if you add cane sugar, that's going to be considered an added sugar. So if I see a box of cereal that says 20 grams of sugar per serving, I'm like, no. If I see four grams of sugar per serving, I say yes. 
right? I'm constantly looking at what number am I going to put on my child? Like what? Plus keep in mind too, you know, well, I'm dealing with teenagers. I don't know about your kids. My kids can knock out half a box in one sitting. So I, I'm not just looking at, it says 15 grams for one serving. I'm looking at my kids going to eat three servings without even trying. That's 45 grams. That's way too much. Um, you know, where's 12 because they eat three servings at four grams each. I can live with that. Right. It's looking at all these things. When you run out of snack bars, switch to a different brand, right? When you run out of this item, switch to the, to the other brand. Um, as everything runs out, you just start making slow switches. That's the easy way to do it. You know, how do you start cooking? Well, number one, invest in a freezer, get yourself an extra freezer so that you can start cooking in bulk. Um, when you make dinner, make an extra serving, you know, it costs you a little bit more upfront in money and an extra 10 minutes of time max, because all you're really doing is, let's say you're making chili. If you double or triple batch your chili, okay, you had to cut some extra veg, but now you've got two or three dinners down the road. So you just Mm -hmm. saved yourself two hours technically in a weeknight when you don't want to cook or can't cook or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, we have a freezer that stays relatively full year round. Um, I'd say at any given point, there's at least 60 to 70 individual servings in that freezer and the kids can pull from it. So if I don't feel well, or if, you know, something happens or whatever, we just pull from the freezer. Or if we just want to go on a last minute trip, it's like, grab what you want from the freezer, throw it in the cooler. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying you get there overnight. People like me do because that's my personality type. You know, in one weekend I can prep up three months worth of dinners, oh, but wow. I have teenagers who can do dishes. I have teenagers who aren't three years old going, Hey, can you come wipe my butt in the bathroom? Right. <laughs> you laugh because you moved into my house recently. Right? You know some kids are like that. And you're like, but I'm dicing onion, but you do it better than me. Yes. <laughs> and um, so I'm at a different stage in life, which is why I say the easier way to start is double batch two dinners a week, right? So you're not having to overthink it. Um, you know, if you're a chicken nugget family, not knocking chicken nuggets, buy a better for you chicken nugget. It doesn't mean you have to make them from scratch at home. You just need to find a brand that has ingredients you're comfortable with, right? And you will compromise. There are certain things that I buy that, quite frankly, I don't want to buy. But I buy them anyway because the kids like them. It makes them happy. And, like, they're not going to die because they ate some keto pops and it had three ingredients I don't love. Overall, they had pretty clean ingredients and it was low in sugar and this, and nobody flips out mentally. And if I have to, I can bribe them and just say, if you want that, go do some chores, you know? And, and so it's this give and take. It's really, I know for me, it's drawing a hard line in the sand and saying, these are the ingredients we're not bringing into the home, period. We're not eating genetically modified foods, period. We're not eating foods with excessive cane sugar, period. We're not going to eat, you know, super duper processed foods, period. I draw a really hard line in the sand And then I have to be willing to do the work to keep up with that line. That's Mm -hmm. the other half of it, right? It's easy to say, I don't want these things in my home, but you still have to provide food for your kids to eat, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in some cases, if you're willing to pay with money there, you could spend 4,000 bucks a month stocking your house with the cleanest of things that, you know, they just pop it open and eat it. Or you spend 1,500 a month and, you know, you do all the work with your time, you know, going back to that budget element, people are usually pretty shocked. But a few years ago, we did taxes and we determined we spent $32,000 on food. That's a car with a sunroof. You guys kids ate a nice car, (laughs) (laughs) right? But our medical bills were practically zero. Um, Our kids haven't been to a doctor in years. I mean, we, um, most times we even skip those well-check visits. I'm like, what's the point? They're just going to tell us what we already know. There's nothing wrong with you. Moving on. Um, <laughs> and probably too, you save a lot of money on takeout food. You probably don't buy takeout food because it's... We don't. Um, no. There's there's one place their dad loves taking them. It's like a sushi place because our kid with food allergies, the owner can actually make him special food. Um, but beyond that, the, the most they do for takeout is like going to Whole Foods and getting the burrito from the burrito bar while they're picking up groceries. Um, We are not a takeout family whatsoever. For us, fast food is what's in the freezer. So you you save money in other ways. Absolutely. You really do. And it's it's always about priorities, right? There are many things that we spend money on in different ways that what's the priority for you and your family? And you could 
choose different things to spend your money on, manicures, pedicures, you know, vacations, trips, and all those things that add up and they're wonderful and they're nice. And then there's also that food element that yes, you look at maybe spending a little bit more, but if it's for the health and wellness of your family overall, you're going to see those benefits like play out tenfold. I would say, you know, a really great piece of advice because you've pegged it. Here's a really great piece of advice for people who struggle with that prioritizing. When your kids are little and their bodies are growing and changing rapidly, prioritize their health. When they're teenagers and they can help you prioritize their health, then go on trips, right? Plus they'll remember them better when they're older and you can bond with them in a different way. But, you know, Disneyland at age two, they're not going to remember that. They really won't. Um, We as parents too, it's stressful to take a two-year-old to Disneyland. Been there, done that, got the shirt didn't like the shirt. Um, and so it's, it's a matter of how do we look at this overall and how do we make it fit? That's why I say you have to look at lifestyle and food. You know, if your lifestyle is to keep up with the Joneses and have expensive cars, you know, for me personally, I think up until just a couple of years ago, I owned two pairs of shoes, right? I mean, how many women do you know with two pairs of shoes? Now I know one. <laughs> Actually, I'm up to like six now. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I mean, and that's like, woohoo, you know, and that's the thing. Like, we don't buy new clothes very often. We don't buy a lot of stuff. You know, we right. we just live a different life. And yeah. everybody has to choose that for themselves. You know, you have that freedom of choice. But I would say when your kids are young, put in the hard work, focus on health, well-being. Um, because if you get them hooked on pills when they're little, because they have all these chronic illnesses, what favors did you do them really, you know, in the long run? Because don't forget for every pill they take, there's a whole bunch of side effects. Yeah. Um, Question for you in terms of young kids developing food allergies. Do you have any insight on, you know, all these nut allergies that are coming out more recently or um, egg allergies, all these things that parents are dealing with, with these little kids now that we never really saw before. Um, do you have any insight on that, on how parents should think about that, what foods they should introduce at an earlier age, or again, just how to navigate this new world of a tremendous number of allergies that we're seeing in young kids? I would say so a few things. Number one, there's always going to be a genetic predisposition. Some kids genetically, they're just set up for it. It's the same thing with celiac disease. Some people are a carrier. Some people aren't. Um, I'm not saying you need to get your kid genetically tested or anything, but just know that, you know, if you yourself or your parents or your siblings have food allergy or serious issues with food or chronic illness, keep in the back of your mind that you might be carrying a genetic component that makes your child more susceptible. Um, there are some really great pediatric doctors that um, are more like functional medicine teams than a traditional pediatrician. And I feel like those types of doctors um, do a really good job. I know it's super controversial, like childhood vaccinations, that sort of stuff. There is some early research that adjusted schedules can have a, a better outcome on kids who were genetically predisposed right? So like we have several customers, like we have a bakery and we have customers where their kids actually develop food allergies directly after vaccination. And so it's not that they're anti-vaccine. I'm not trying to push that message. Don't be confused. But with their other children, they opted for adjusted schedules and had better outcomes. And so it's, there's a lot to look at. I always tell people, research everything you put on or in your child. For example, a lot of kids get ear infections and they're given antibiotics as a child. Well, if you give a child an antibiotic, you wipe out their gut flora. 80% of immunity is in your gut. And if you wipe out someone's gut flora and you don't repopulate it properly, now you're looking at, you know, leaky gut and other chronic issues that are going to weaken a child's immunity and ability to digest and process foods. You know, you look at formula fed kids versus breastfed kids. There's a difference. When we look at every component, we can say, well, if your child lives this perfectly healthy, natural life, your chances of, you know, food allergy is really low, but nobody lives that life, right? That's the thing. And so it's really just about giving our kids as many head starts as we can. Um, Again, air, water, food, quality of what goes into your child is important. A lot of people are unaware of just how polluted their water is. Just because we turn on the tap and it looks clean doesn't make it clean. Um, and so there's there's a website. I can't think of what it's called and I might have it saved somewhere, but you can actually pop in your zip code and they tell you about all the chemicals nobody tells you about. 
in your water supply. And if you're not pleased with the results, there's different water filters that you can get to then actually have clean water on hand. That makes a huge difference on a growing, developing body, right? Yeah. If you think about it, think about raw milk labels. They say, don't give it to sick people or elderly or young children. Why? They can sometimes have a compromised immune system. So are we really doing these people any good if we're feeding them polluted water and, you know, contaminated foods, et cetera, right? So, and then you asked about things you can do. So there was a really cool study on Bomba. It's a peanut puff snack. So neat. Um, in Israel, they fed kids this bomb. It's like the equivalent of one peanut. They were able to reduce the amount of childhood peanut allergies greatly. But here's the kicker. Oh my goodness. They saw a huge uptick in sesame and legume allergies. They were looking at like what happened. It was just really a change in diet culture. Not diet as in like, you know, I got to get skinny, but diet as in what people were actually eating. Um, so food culture in general. And they saw that when different foods started becoming more prevalent, kids were developing allergies. And it really comes down to, if you look at the LEAP study, we know that if we introduce major allergens to children at a really young age, you reduce the chance of allergic reaction. Um, and so there's a company and they create a powdered version. And the idea is that you can actually mix it with formula. You can get kids, you know, just a few months old ingesting these allergens. If you're breastfeeding a child, you should be eating major allergens unless your child has had a reaction. So, you know, you want to pass on that immunity. People don't realize, I mean, maybe I'm sure you guys tell your listeners about this all the time, but breast milk is so fascinating, like what it can do and the science behind it and, you know, just how the needs of the child are met. And it's just, it's just so fascinating. But um, so if we as parents kind of look at all of the different factors and how we can give our kids a head start, overall, you just reduce their chances. Does that make it a perfect science? Nope. We don't know who develops it and why and when. Um, it's not like heart disease where we can do a scan of your heart and say, oh, that muscle is weak and you're gonna have a problem in three years. And then sure enough, in three years, you have a problem. Food allergies and food intolerance, which is even harder to track. Um, we don't study it the same. So we just don't know. So wow. it's really just about giving yourself a good head start. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and then of course, something if you really want to get into interesting studies, look at the rate of illness in the Amish community. The Amish are the perfect science experiment to a certain mm -hmm. degree. Um, we look at their rates of allergy, asthma, diabetes, etc. way lower than the average. Way lower. And you've got to ask yourself why. Air, water, food, and lifestyle. That's the only real difference. Yeah. Right. Very true. Right. They're living in, they're living right next to us and they have a very different lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Very right. Different. Um, um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You want to go? Uh, I was just going to ask, do pediatricians offer some of this advice or is this something that parents can discuss with their pediatricians or do you feel like you've had to do a lot of this research on your own to find this out? Yes and no. You have some really great doctors out there who are fantastic. And then you have some who are the opposite of fantastic and they're really pushy and they're rude, um, you know, who just flat out tell people, oh, your kid tested allergic to these things. It's no big deal. Feed them the food anyway. Unless they break out in hives, keep feeding it to them. Okay, cool. Let's torture children now. You know, it's, you have some doctors and you're going to have this across the board with all types of specialists and people in the medical field. You have some who are really great at what they do and some who really just should have picked a different career. Um, some doctors, I, I always tell people, Doctors work for you. Hire and fire as you see fit. If they don't want to help you, you know, it's not that they're necessarily being malicious, but are you really going to keep paying their salary if they're not doing their job well? Um, for people who find themselves wanting a better experience, I always say look, at to, look into functional medicine. Usually it's a team effort as compared to a singular doctor. And it's a lot more combination of East and West versus just um, pills for every ill kind of a thing. I feel like if you have a doctor who's constantly pushing you to a pill rather than helping you determine your root cause, that's the red flag, in my opinion. Um, if you have a doctor who says, I want to put you on this pill and I want to discover the root cause, that's a really great doctor because what they're doing is they're listening to your symptoms. They're wanting to alleviate your pain, but they also want to remove the pain factor, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if they're just saying, take this pill and I'll see you in a few months and we'll just adjust as needed, I don't think that's really necessarily someone who's really looking out for you. So Yeah. I had a, um, my son suffered with eczema when he was younger and other gut issues. And we went to a pediatric dermatologist and I will not name names, but she told my husband that 
eczema has nothing to do with diet. And I know, but we removed gluten and dairy. And I mean, this is not for everybody. You should all do your own, you know, talk to with your own doctor. But for me, we removed gluten and dairy and his eczema went away. You know, what's so interesting too about gluten, especially in the United States, wheat today is not the same as wheat a hundred years ago. In fact, some people with celiac disease, they go to Europe, they accidentally eat wheat and they have no problems. And it's because it's grown differently. The pesticides, all that stuff, it's all different. Um, for some people, they think they're gluten intolerant, but they're actually glyphosate intolerant. So that's a huge issue as well. Um, gluten and dairy are the two easiest things to remove when you think you have an issue, honestly speaking, um, at least in the United States. Also now, I happen to have celiac disease and I was diagnosed uh, 25 years ago. It's a long time ago and nothing was labeled then, um, yeah. but now everything is labeled. So it's really an easy thing to cut out if, ah, you, if you need what to. What is it though? Okay. Here's what really gets me. You guys are going to love this one. Even food certified gluten-free can be made on shared equipment with wheat. That's what gets right. me. And hundreds of companies do it and they don't even disclose it on their labels. And I'm like, come on guys, we could do better than this. It's not the same as the nut allergy scare where they have to disclose when things are processed on the same facilities as nuts. But, um, but yeah, yeah, everybody wants to different. peanuts and tree nuts. That's the yeah. one where, because that gets all the attention, you know, I'm sure if yeah. we started giving wheat all the attention, you know, 17,000 people died this year from wheat exposure, you know, we'd get that attention. Right. Right. Because the no. nut allergy tends to have like an anaphylactic shock reaction. It can actually yeah. cause immediate death versus a gluten intolerance can cause discomfort, but you're not going to see that immediate emergency situation as exactly. likely. Right. Yeah. And it's not to say that, you know, both people don't experience the same levels of pain because they kind of do. If you think about it, we, we actually have a really great customer. He, if you expose him to about five parts per million of gluten, he's in the hospital for a week. Yeah. Wow. And that's the thing. That's as bad as a nut allergy with anaphylaxis, five parts yeah. per million, then you need your EpiPen, right? I mean, he deteriorates at five parts. And so wow. it's, that's why I always tell people, no two people are the same. And we yeah. absolutely need, we just need better education, better transparency, you know, but like we already know, there's too much money on the line, right? Yeah. The, right. These bigger companies, it's not, it's not in their financial interest to take care of their consumer. And you almost have this cycle where the food, the food industry keeps us just sick enough, and the medical industry keeps us just well enough that the two can work together to make this little system. It's like a little circuit, right? Eat your ten Oreos, take your pill later. Drink your two liter bottle of Coke take your pill later. It's like this little cycle that continues. Right. Um, you know, going back to what you said on Oreos and soda, let's talk about that for a hot set. Um, I am a cookie fiend. I love cookies. I think cookies are one of the greatest inventions in the world. I think ice cream is amazing. I think people should eat it every day, <laughs> but I think you should make it at home. I think you should use refined, uh, like, you know, maple instead of cane sugar. I think you should use better for you ingredients. There are several companies that make better for you Oreos, right? Or make some Oreos at home and freeze them. You can freeze cookies for, for about four months uh, safely. And um, soda. Have you guys heard of like soda stream? You yes. Yeah. Get a soda stream. Problem solved, right? right? And you can get those little flavor droplets. We actually went about kind of inventing our own little recipes for soda stream we you know you get maple syrup and you can we've made like a faux sprite a cream soda and a root beer and the kids love it wow and it's way less cane sugar um or start looking into fermented foods and beverages right um like kombucha kefir water that sort of stuff very flavorful without all the extra added sugar so you still get that fizz for some people soda's about the fizz for some it's about the sweetness so depending on which boat you're in um there are options. I will warn you though, it costs a lot more. A two liter mm -hmm. bottle of Coke is probably what, like $2 maybe? Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, a 16 ounce bottle of kombucha can run you $3. So mm -hmm. it's a big difference price-wise. Um, but after 90 days, you can completely reset the palate and cravings and those internal desires. And so instead of needing a two liter bottle every day or two, now you just need a kombucha every day or two. So cost-wise, it does start to balance out because you crave it less. If 
that makes sense. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And I love all of your simple tips that, that make it not so overwhelming for parents, like, you know, swap out one thing at a time, you know, take your time with it. You don't have to do everything all at once, but we can't end this podcast without you talking about your raise um, subscription program. And I, I know you have so many recipes on there and you can filter by ingredient. And I would love for you to just talk about that a little bit. Okay. You, you got me. I love, okay. Our advanced recipe search, I could talk about it for hours because it is literally the most advanced tool anywhere on the internet for people with multiple severe restricted diets, food allergies, et cetera. There's nothing Did you like build it. it. Yeah, we built it. We built it all. Yeah, from it's, the ground awesome. up. it's really cool. Yeah. Um, in the end, we got a developer to get us over the hump to do the last little bit of coding because I couldn't get it to look right. Um, I got it to function, but I was like, it doesn't look right. And I don't have time to fix this. Um, but you can filter. I think there's over a hundred different filter categories right now. And so what you do is you go in and you can choose individual allergens and you can, you know, say like gluten-free dairy. Well, the whole website is gluten and dairy free by default, um, and sesame free as well, but like you can eliminate individual allergens. And then you can eliminate whole food families. So nightshades or gourds, you know, whatever you need to eliminate. And then you can choose special options. Like I want breakfast or a one pot meal because I don't want to do dishes um, or I need to be 30 minutes or less. You can plug in extra filters and everything just starts popping up down below. And what's really neat is it becomes a custom URL. So you can bookmark it and go back anytime you want. Um, and when you're logged in, you can use the favorite feature. So it's like your own little recipe box collection. And you can use it one of two ways. I always tell people either A, actually favor all your favorites so you don't have to go looking for them again, or B, use it for meal planning. So if this week you want these six meals, make those the favorite for this week, and then you can pop back into it. Um, the whole system, it's really comprehensive because I do not believe in reinventing the wheel. That's what I'm one thing I'm totally against. And so we looked at everything available and we realized, you know, we're missing this huge element of resources for people who don't fit into these like five specific categories. So we fixed it and we basically caught everybody else with this giant net and we call it RAISE. So it stands for restricted diet, food allergy, food intolerance, special diet, such as paleo gaps, um, AIP, SCD, vegan. And then the E is for EOE, which is a rare -er allergenic disease. And so um, I think right now there's just about 300 recipes and an additional four or 500 pieces of content. We do seminars and courses, and it's all about delivering information for every type of need, right? All the different age groups, you know, so there's information for babies and toddlers and teenagers and, you know, adults and complex cases and straightforward cases and everything in between. Um, and there's different levels of membership based on your need. So some people just want recipes and they can do that, um, where some people want it all and they can do that too. So it's it's cool. Honestly, I tell people now, they ask me like, what is it again? I'm like, it's everything you wish you knew the day you were diagnosed. Yeah. That's what okay. it is. Wow. That's amazing. It's, yeah. it's absolutely incredible. What an amazing resource. Um, really something that everyone should check out because it just sounds like it's really the key to helping you figure out how to eat and plan accordingly. It really is. Well, and now we have some meal plans there as well. We have, you know, guides and templates and it's just... Honestly, I, I'm sometimes angry with myself that I don't have a time machine and I can't go back in time and give myself raise like 10 years ago, yeah. if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it's the dumbest thing to be mad about. And yet I am because I feel like I got ripped off. Like, man, where was raised when I needed it? Like, yeah, that's, that's it's almost like you were, you were put here to have like what's happened to you is encouraged you to help so many other people who are like you. It's it just, we need people like you in the world who are doers, mm -hmm. who when there's a problem to solve, you go out and solve it rather than just sit around complaining about it. So it's not that there's anything wrong with complaining because yeah. I do my fair share, <laughs> but we can all complain and we all are at liberty to do so. But, you know, when you take what you have been given and, you know, play the hands you're dealt, go out and do something about it to help all these other families in need, what an incredible thing to do with your life and, and accomplish. Yeah, I think for us, the turning point really, it was a few years ago and they were like, you're going to be dead in 30 days. And I was like, okay, cool. Because oh my God. I'm suffering. Well, I mean, you know, my condition was to the point where it was really bad. And when you're in pain every single day, and that's not to say I'm not still in pain every day. I still am. It's just a different kind of pain. But you get to a point where you really don't want to keep suffering every day. You know, earlier you used the word suffer. I think suffer is sometimes people are funny. They're like, should I use that word? Should I not use that word? I'm cool with the word. I think it's a very accurate word 
Um, because if you do eat the wrong foods, you do suffer. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's easier to say you live with or whatever. But the point is, um, at that point, at, after surviving, we were like, well, everything that's in your head, we have to be able to tell people. So yeah. we, we published six cookbooks. We started the bakery. We started... Um, well, the books came before the platform. The online platform came because the books were kind of a limit, right? You can only put so much in a cookbook. Um, and I knew that there were so many more ways and things I wanted to put out there. And I, we just decided, why not just make our own platform? I call it a platform. I probably shouldn't because it's not like a social media platform or anything. But I still call it a platform because it, it's it's something. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's definitely, I think for people who need it, you know, we have members all the time who tell us it's like, this is the coolest thing ever. And it's really funny. One of the best things that ever happened, we had someone who signed up and this was in the early days when we were still uh, working out some bugs and their membership glitched and they called us on the phone and I started talking to him about it. And I said, okay, now go to this page. I said, do this. I was showing him the old version of the advanced recipe search. And when he put in all of his needs and I said, okay, now everything you see is completely safe for you and you don't have to make any modifications. And I'm still talking to him on the phone. You know how when you're talking to someone, you can tell they're not listening. He mm -hmm. totally was not listening anymore. He was like, this is epic. And he was gone. And a few minutes later, I'm like, I'm going to let you go. Because I think you're really <laughs> into this. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's totally cool. This is why it's here. You know, and yeah. and that's what it is, you know. And mm -hmm. so people who are members, they have access to our team and, you know, they get advanced support and all this stuff. But everything, it's all there, you know. And So it really is a platform. Because I want to believe so. The only yeah. thing it doesn't do, honestly, is um, members can't talk to each other. And we actually did that on purpose because if you go into like some of these online groups on other platforms, I won't name, um, it's very dangerous advice that people are giving. And because these conditions are hyper individualized, I've actually seen people suggest things that could kill someone's child. And oh so, my gosh. yeah. And because moderators aren't moderating well, it becomes a huge liability. And we knew up front, I said, I never want someone to accidentally give someone else bad advice. So we're just not going to open it up that way. We will control the information that comes in um, or goes out in this case. And that was the easiest way and the safest way to make sure that everybody stayed safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's so important. Um, yeah. Safe information is extremely important, especially when you're dealing with something like such a health factor, like food and allergies. You want yes. to make sure that the information that you're getting is, is appropriate. It's not, you know, a parenting style. It's really life or death. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. Right. Yeah. So tell our listeners and, you know, how they can find you. Well, if you just visit theallergychef.com, that has links to everything. It has links to our bakery, our cookbooks, the Ray's membership website, um, our social media. We're pretty active on Instagram. Honestly, I can't wrap my head around the other platforms. Um, like I'll put something there, but like, for example, Twitter, I just feel like I'm eavesdropping on people. I don't know about you guys, but it's just <laughs> like. I'm actually not on, or I might have a Twitter account, but I don't know the password. So I haven't been able yeah. to add it. <laughs> Yeah, don't worry. I haven't posted Twitter in a long time because I just, I don't understand. But yeah, theallergychef.com gets you links to everything that we do. Very cool. Kathleen, this has been amazing. You are just a wealth of knowledge and... And so fun to talk to. Yeah, we really <laughs> enjoyed this. I'm just like, it is like a, I mean, a, such a fun conversation to have. I think we could go on for like another few hours talking about we, a lot of topics. We absolutely but I think the most important thing that I hope our listeners take away is... Being mindful and doing the research, knowing what it is, because when we don't know, then you can't make conscious choices. And right. I think that that's, you know, you have to do you, you have to do what's best for your family. You need to figure out what is where your priorities lie. But knowing the information that's out there, I think is really the key in order to help you make those decisions. Well, that and the food journal, that's the only other thing I want to leave your listeners with. Food journals are king because if you're, let's say, so there's two classes of people that I've defined them as. You have people who are diagnosed with a pure and simple, straightforward food allergy with quick and obvious reactions. Okay. That's like a kid with a peanut allergy. They eat a peanut, their throat closes, they need an EpiPen, straightforward, right? We know what makes your child sick. It is so simple. You avoid peanuts. All other problems go away. You're not dealing with any other medical conditions, etc. That's the first type of person. And then there's everyone else. I call them complex cases. Um, it means maybe you have delayed reactions, non-traditional symptoms, buildup reactions, etc. right? Non-traditional symptoms are some of the worst and hardest to pin down because when it's not anaphylaxis, now you're getting diagnosed with ADHD or eczema or this other thing, um, but nobody's saying check the diet. So a food journal is king. Um, 
And for parents of children that have skin reactions, take pictures of them on your phone and make an album so that you can keep track of what it looks like and any changes, whether it be a good change or a bad change. And for parents who are incredibly busy and don't know where to start with a food journal, start with a photo food journal on a smartphone and make an album because at least the phone will keep it date and time stamped for you. Mm -hmm. The key to a food journal is it has to be incredibly detailed. Everything has to be date and time stamped. Um, with food allergy, you can technically have reactions between immediate ingestion and up to four hours. That's within the window of the official definition of food allergy. So food intolerance can be immediate to up to 28 days. And that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. And so wow. if you're not keeping that journal, if you suspect something but don't journal, you have no way to know if you're making any progress. This has been great. Kathleen, and we really hope that we can have more conversations in the future. No, we're booking you. We are okay. scheduling you because we could talk like an endless amount about a lot of things. I know we can for sure. So this will happen again. This will happen again. It will. I love the way you said it. Like, yeah. This is happening. Yeah. It's happening. It's happening. Um, wonderful. Really, thank you so much for waking up early, getting on with us today. Like, It's been my pleasure. It was well worth it. So I look Thank forward you. to the next time and look forward to helping listeners. And yeah, let's do it again. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please note that this is general information. And since we do not know your child, it is best to contact your pediatrician or local pediatric professional if you have specific concerns. We invite you to continue the conversation on this topic in our online community at totsontarget.com. Additionally, you can find any toys, books, or products we mentioned in our Amazon storefront located in our show notes or on our website. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for daily tips on how to keep your tot on target.